Hello, everyone, and welcome to our June bonus episode here on Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you ready to talk Chromatic Cube? I am ready to talk Chromatic Cube. We're squeaking in that June bonus episode here on (laughs) June 30th, just right under the wire. Better late than never, as they say. Yeah, exactly. Have you recovered from our glorious weekend of drafting? I have, yeah. It's good that I have things like relatively early in the morning because every once in a while I get in danger of just being on like the 3 a.m. to like 11 sleep plan or 4 a.m. to noon. And I then I have to get up at like nine or something. I'm good about scheduling things for myself in the morning. So I haven't totally lost the summer sleep schedule yet. That's good. Good. Glad to hear it. How about you? Yeah, I have recovered. It definitely felt, I think, towards the end of the weekend. Like, uh, did you ever read the, the Berenstain Bears books as a kid? Yeah. You know, like the like too much birthday or whatever. I was like, maybe this was just like slightly overkill in terms of indulging ourselves in you know 12 hours of paper drafts but it was definitely well worth it super super fun yeah i also had a chance to play arena mobile for the first time on the drive home and i will say it holds up yeah right it's not that bad no it totally worked i mean the game glitched out on me one time and i lost as a result although like playing chromatic cube is probably not the most (laughs) (laughs) easy thing to do on mobile but even that was fine like i gotta play magic and I, like I said, I picked up the one loss, but I mean, I was very, very impressed with the mobile client. Is that going to push you over the edge to finally upgrade your 5S phone? <laughs> My iPhone 5S? I don't know. Probably not. Because I just <laughs> don't need it. Because when I'm normally going to be playing Magic, I'm going to have my computer. That was a, right. a very weird circumstance. So yeah. No, but thank you, Josh, for uh, loaning me your phone and for driving me back and forth. For those of you that don't know, I rode with uh, Dr. Stupid from Twitch Chat, Josh, and uh, my my Toyota Corolla has like almost 300,000 miles and probably would not have made it to Pittsburgh and back. So thanks for bumming me a ride. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's dive in here to Chromatic Cube. So this is the newest cube offering on Arena. It's going to be live through, I think, June 8th or 9th, whenever Adventures in the Forgotten Realm drops on Arena. Um, so it's going to be, you know, that's sort of the the offering here for the next week and a half. And I think it's a good thing to break down because it, it is a lot different, I think, in terms of the, the strategies, the approaches and what you can do in it than other cubes we've seen before. So we'll do some, you know, our big picture stuff and then dive into some specific cards and interactions. Uh, where do you want to start, Ben? I think we'll just start with the cube in general. You know, I don't know about you, but I did my first few cube drafts like it was the typical arena cube. Mm-hmm. And it just is not right. Like I lost savagely and I was getting kind of salty about the types of cards I was losing to. And I was like, ah, this is dumb. I don't really like this. But I think once you understand what the cube is all about, I mean, which it is in the description, right? I mean, it is billed as the chromatic cube. You know, it's made by the person that made the live your dream cube on MTGO. Like the idea is that you're supposed to be able to do big, sweet, flashy things. And honestly, that's what's good. Yeah, this is very much a high power, low synergy cube. It's about identifying cards that matter and making sure you can cast them. I as well had the same journey as you like drafted, you know, two color decks was, you know, I was so excited because I love to do the companion thing in regular arena cube. And then I saw that they had added added Garuda and Gigantha to this. And I was like, oh, this is just like super companion cube. And I just wasn't getting good decks. And then I was seeing these trophy decks on Twitter or in Discord, and they were just piles, right? Just like five color piles, soup, lands, big spells. And these were the things that were trophying. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And that has been very successful since. Yeah, I I have experienced exactly the same thing. I mean, you know, cards that you wouldn't think of being good, like Zakama Primal Calamity is just absurd in this cube. And I would have, you know, prior to getting stomped by it, just never picked that card, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a nine mana, three color thing. Like you just think, oh, that's way too big and stupid. And sort of the, you know, the general thought about cube, and we've done cube episodes before if folks want to go back in the archives and listen to our takes on vintage cube or on the arena cube in specific. But I think, you know, the general consensus is you can just get big, dumb things to do, and they're sort of interchangeable. And that's not the case in this cube, as we'll get to in a little bit in terms of what are the big expensive things that matter. And I think it's about identifying those and like taking them when you see them, but otherwise just drafting all the ways to like ramp and fix. Get excited. The biggest and the dumbest things are what win in this format. Yeah. And I think sort of speaking to what you talked about, like in your initial drafts of like getting, you know, salty about what you were losing to the cards 
that are in this cube are insanely powerful. It's just haymaker after haymaker. The turns and the swings that happen in games of this cube are pretty astronomical. Like you can just have like one person as a full board and then the next turn, someone like takes an extra turn and then board wipes and then rebuilds or whatever. And you can just get these insanely big swings. And as a result, it's also very snowball-y, right? If you get behind it all, you have a really hard time catching back up against the decks that are doing the best things. Yes, 100%. Like I have had a full board been plague-winded by my opponent, and then the following turn after plague-winding have had a full board again. <laughs> it just yeah. was able to ignore my opponent's plague-wind, which is not something that normally you know should happen in a game of Magic the Gathering. But to to your points, I think you're super incentivized to draft whatever the top 30 cards are. And we're going to go through that later in the episode. And then the other key piece of that is, you know, you want to get there before your opponent, right? Everyone's incentivized to do these big things. So ramp is just absolutely premium, especially one and two CMC ramp. Yeah, and we'll talk about those in just a little bit as well. Speaking of getting your mana online, I think this is quite clearly an 18 land format. I, I think you just basically auto lose if you miss your first four to five land drops agree a hundred percent have felt great running 18 lands and oftentimes it's for sources too right because right there's a lot of good fixing but you just really want to in addition to hitting land drops making sure you have the right colors of mana to cast your spells and if you're drafting the cube in the way that we're going to outline drafting the cube i think you know do the 18 land thing and then that's also in addition to however many spells you have that are going to create mana it's going to seem like a lot you're going to think oh i should shave lands right i've got all these mana rocks at two and three and you're just not going to run out of stuff to do with your mana in this cube if you're drafting it, it correctly and so i would encourage you to up that land count not cheat on lands yeah and we've had many other formats that are like this but this is definitely a don't be mid-range format right you either want to be planning to do the biggest and the bestest thing the fastest or you want to assume that your opponents are going to be trying to do that and be as aggressive as you can and there are ways to be aggressive in the cube and there certainly are things that are kind of keeping these decks in check but they really are you know nerfed compared to a normal cube like they're, they're purposefully are not super strong aggro decks yeah have you since like sort of unlocking how to draft this cube correctly are you drafting aggro since then i keep telling myself that i should force it and i just don't want to i mean like if the, once i embraced the ridiculousness of the cube which was took me about like three or four drafts i just am in for the ridiculousness yeah and i want to do the biggest and the sweetest things but i mean if you want to try to win that is an alternative strategy to winning other than trying to do the biggest and the bestest thing and probably like always is better in best of one which i think you've been playing than best of three which is what i've been playing exclusively yeah, I purposefully was. I mean, as you've come to label me I as a best of one lover, but I was purposefully paying best of one to give people a different perspective. And I can confirm that the aggro decks are real in best of one, but you also can still win doing like this ridiculous stuff. Yeah, and I've lost to aggro in best of three. It's been rare, but I've seen good like, you know, white red aggro decks. I don't think I don't think they're about equipment as they sort of like have been outlined in the the archetype skeleton article that came out, which we should talk about next is that just like the two color pairs are a ruse, right? Like drafting black white legends or blue red copy spells or whatever i don't even know what the archetypes are supposed to do blue black steal your stuff like those are just not things you're supposed to do no i agree 100 percent. and it feels bad that those are you know i read this article and one thing the article did nail though <laughs> time walks very powerful in this cube time walks are incredibly powerful that is true um but the color pairs you know like green white tokens and you sort of do that in the aggro decks a little bit but by and large like the strategy should be be base green blue try to splash as many powerful cards as you can yeah i think so just because like you have these singularly powerful cards and so assembling like a plus b isn't worth it which i will say is a shame because those kinds of archetypes seem sweet. Like I didn't realize, oh, there is really support for a red white equipment theme in a historic cube or this blue black, like steal your stuff sort of thing. Like, so hopefully we'll see a cube in the future where those archetypes can shine rather than just get outclassed by big dumb stuff. Yeah. And speaking of big dumb stuff, some of the cards that are normally very good in cube are not as good here. So Great Henge, for example, super powerful card is just kind of small ball when it comes to top end in this cube, right? 
Well, like you're just not running a lot of creatures. Like my decks generally have like eight to 10 creatures. The best stuff to do are generally instants and sorceries, right? You're talking about time walks or maybe magma opus or whatever. Some of the ultimatums, like these big explosive card advantage spells, escape to the wilds, whatever. Like I just don't care about getting this incremental advantage from playing my creatures off of Great Henge, you know? Yes, that phrase you just said, incremental advantage. If you're going for that, you're going to lose in this cube. Like trying to slowly outvalue your opponent is just a losing strategy in the format, I think, for sure. Because it's it doesn't beat the aggro decks and it doesn't beat the big decks. Like you're just caught in the middle and you are doing nothing. Right. Like a bunch of two for ones is not as good as a five for one. Like there's a lot of five for ones <laughs> in the cube. And so you're just like, oh, my, my Gaunti or my Noxious Gear Hulk. It's just like, it doesn't matter. Don't do that. Um, I think Embercleave is another one. I feel like that's egregious in the regular arena cube. Like top five cards shouldn't be in there. It's so game warping. But here, I just don't think it matters. Like, I guess it matters for the aggressive decks. But like that, I would see as like, that's a pull to do a red aggro deck in a normal cube. And I just don't even look at that card in this cube. Right. I think you don't want to take it as like, I'm going to draft Embercleave and I'm going to draft an aggro deck. I think if you get pigeonholed into drafting an aggro deck, which I think is, you know, your plan B in this cube, or, you know, if by all means, if you want to draft aggro and try to smash these people that are doing sweet things, Embercleave's going to be good in that deck. But I don't think what you said. I don't think you see Embercleave and think, yes, I'm doing it. Yeah, for sure. I got to say the other cards that I think take a big hit are the companions. Like that's another thing that's like that's an incremental bit of advantage or like, you know, even something like Karuga, like building around it with secret two drops, these things like Bone Crusher Giant or Brazen Borrower, like ways that you can actually do stuff before turn three. I just don't think that you want to do that. One, I don't think you want to have any sort of deck building restrictions because of how powerful these whatever top 20 or 30 cards that we've identified are. So you just want to make sure that when you see those, you can take them and play them. And so having cards that put restrictions on your deck, I think are going to lead to worse decks overall in the cube. Right. And that incremental advantage phrase is coming back up, right? You're paying a deck building cost to -hmm. get an incremental advantage of an extra card plus an effect when you get this companion. But there are just so many more efficient ways to get extra cards. Yeah, absolutely. There's, There's not a lot of interaction or counter magic there are i guess a handful of sweepers um there's there's some of them are are expensive or tough to cast so it it often feels like the matches are like gold fishing right sometimes you're just like waiting to see who's gonna do their best thing first has that been your experience a little bit and i do think the aggro decks in some ways are trying to turn that on its head right they're Mm -hmm. trying to you know kill that three drop creature that you play that's going to ramp you really big or they're trying to land that one counter spell on your first big impacting spell to be able to close the door but i think certainly when two of these going over the top decks face each other it very much is i do my thing before you do your thing yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I do think like when I have been interacted with in those early turns, I'm, feel, I'm like, whoa, 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 excuse. I thought we agreed <laughs> a little bit of no rush. I just want to set up what I'm doing first. So, yeah, I, I do think that perhaps drafting, you know, cheap interaction, but it's, it's got to be cheap interaction. Not like I don't know, even even Bone Crusher Giant doesn't feel that good to me because deal two feels a little small potatoes to me. But I do think some sort of catch-all removal spells like uh, Never to Return or maybe Vraska's Contempt are, are good things to have access to. Yeah, for sure. This last bit, maybe we're going to be in a little bit of disagreement here. I think blue is the best color in this cube, k- kind of by a lot, because um, it gets three time walks, which as we've alluded to, I think I think the, the two of the three time walks are the best two cards in the cube. They get great top end spells like Sublime Epiphany or Scholar of the Lost Troves. Lots of good card draw, which is what you want, and some of the best ways to interact, like commit to memory or the counter magic, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I would say that green is close to as good as blue is, mostly because the ramp it offers is so premium, right? It mm-hmm. gives you two one-drop rampers in Golden Goose plus Llanowar Elves, and then a lot of two CMC rampers. And if you aren't green, there are only a few two CMC mana rocks that you'd have access into a blue other color deck. So I mean, my plan in the format, unless I get cut out of it, is to be base green blue for all the reasons you're saying about blue. But I really want to be green also to give myself the ramp to get to those top end blue spells. 100% agree. Yeah. I mean, like, I just feel like you get like Gilded Goose and Elysian carry added or whatever. And you're like, okay, I'm base green. And like, those could be two of my only green spells, but because they're cheap, and they fix for all colors like 
those are really big things that I want in the cube. I think the most times I've felt bad about my decks are when I end the draft, and I only have like three, two drops. And that just can happen even if you're prioritizing them as highly as I am. Like sometimes you just don't see them. So the fact that green provides so many good rampers that are cheap, I think does put it up there. But I do think it then fails a little bit in terms of providing good things to ramp to. But that's where blue comes in. Right. And I think that's probably a design choice too, right? Like if they really do want it to be the chromatic cube, because if Mm -hmm. green had good top end as well, like you would just be drafting mono green, right? Right. All right. So we've got a bunch of categories here for the best cards in the cube. And I think first up here is the time walks. And as you said, that article alluded to it, and it is bore out. I think Nexus of Fate is the best Pack one, pick one in this cube. What do you think about that take? Ooh, I like you coming out strongly with a take. I haven't really thought about it, to be honest, as far as like the best pack one, pick one. I'm into it. I think I might be more on something like Mirari's Wake myself. But I mean, I could be convinced for sure. Like Mirari's Wake, the cards that I like top five just off the top of my head, something like Mirari's Wake, the Time Walks ruinous ultimatum deadly vanity like some of those plague windy type effects Mm -hmm. or like ways to just get a lot of mana at once like savala i don't know i haven't really given it much thought well my my take is nexus of fate one and alrin's epiphany two i think those are the two best cards in the cube um they just feel insane like you know what we're talking about snowbally haymakery stuff like getting that extra turn being able to accrue value with maybe you've got a planeswalker in play or get some more attacks in or whatever like uptick you know get another counter on your treasure map all these like little things you get to do over multiple turns is pretty insane and god forbid you're copying them with ral which we'll get to in a little bit that is just like basically game over karn's temporal sundering i think is a little fussier you know a lot of the creatures in the cube are legendary so it is you know possible to enable but i have definitely had this card stranded in my hand in a number of games and so that's caused me to bump it down in my pick order for now oh interesting i've just never given any thought to those cards having restrictions because there's so many legendaries in the cube it's true but like you know you can your stuff gets you know we're talking about board wipes your stuff all gets got and you're like oh no now i can't do anything with this and because it has to be creatures or planeswalkers right you can't just have like your you know immortal sun in in there and then now you have a legendary artifact that's not going to trigger your temporal sundering right that makes sense for sure yeah so those time walks are definitely great there's also You know, we've talked about mana ramp, but there are some cards that just go beyond normal mana ramp and significantly let you cheat on mana. And I think, you know, the best of them is Mirari's Wake um, that lets just you double all your mana. Fires of Invention is another one that's super sweet that I have not gotten to play with yet, and I am pretty mad about it. I have played with Fires a lot. I honestly think it's better than Mirari's Wake personally. It has felt absolutely busted in this cube. Well, it's so good, right? You play it, you play a four drop, and then the next turn you play two five drops. And the five drops really, if you're not doing like the biggest of things, the five drops are where a lot of the heavy hitting power is. Yeah. Today I went turn two Mindstone, turn three Fires of Invention, Captain Landry Storm. I was like, this game is over. Ooh. Like, I'm just going to. That's just such an explosive start. And how snowbally is that? Like, if they don't have a blocker for Landry Storm, I'm going to get a treasure this turn. I'm getting a treasure next turn. I can gas stuff for free. Like, yeah, I think Fire's Invention is nuts. But yeah, I agree. I think those two are the best ways to cheat on mana. I've been very impressed with the captain. You and the captain make it happen. Yeah. Well, because people are just doing right. People's turn two or three plays are like Mindstone and chromatic lantern right they're just not affecting the board a lot of the time and so you can often get a free attack in you know my, my opponent plays a turn to magda i'm just like oh no like they're right. gonna get are- <laughs> you're gonna get like two treasures off this right now right those are the two cards and i haven't played either of them yet but every time my opponent plays them i'm like oh no this game's <laughs> not gonna go well yeah i have definitely like used both Koligon's command and prismari command to go deal two to your magda or your lannery storm and kill that treasure like i don't want you to have either of those things <laughs> yeah that's funny this next card is one you turned me on to pretty hard yeah Fabro elder this is the one green white and has power and toughness equal to the number of colors among permanents you have and then also taps to add mana of all the different colors of permanents you have so at base is a three mana ramp you twice which is great and then if you're playing the cube like we're suggesting it oftentimes taps for five mana which is just absurd i I had that next to niv mizzet the five color niv mizzet the other day and i was like oh this is just absolutely broken yeah it's insane and then another one that looks like it might be a drawback but just you just don't care is savala heart of the wild it's the one gg two three 
Um, and whenever somebody plays the biggest creature, you or your opponent, they get to draw a card. And so people would see that and think, well, that's bad. I don't want my opponents to draw cards. Like your opponent drawing a card does not matter at all in this cube. What matters on this card is that it has green tap, add mana equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. But it's in, in any combination of colors, right? Also, yeah, that too. But just the fact that it's producing four or five, six mana for one card, that's what you want in this cube. Yeah. This next one, Nyx Bloom Ancient, I have not gotten untapped with. I have played it in my deck, but I've not gotten untapped with it. Um, but this is one that like triples all the mana producers you have. Um, but if you can untap with it, I mean, there's some big X spells like Crackle with Power or Expansion Explosion that this, I think, would just win on the spot with. Yeah, and then two that are less good, Oracle of Moldiah, which is crazy to say, right, about Oracle of Moldiah. But it's it's less good than those other cards, I think, because it costs four mana and doesn't ramp you as quickly. Yeah. And then Nikia of the Old Ways is another one, five mana for the five five that doubles your mana except you can't cast non-creature spells, which is a pretty big drawback. But if you are in just like a red-green creature deck, is very powerful as well. I can't imagine ever putting Nikki of the Old Ways in a deck <laughs> in this cube, but I, maybe it's good. I don't know. I got smashed by it several times from opponents that cast it and then cast two large monsters. All right. Well, maybe I'm underrating it, but I got to be casting my time walks, baby. <laughs> Next up, we've got Acceleration. So there are a lot more ways to do this for three mana than there are for two or one. And a lot of ways to do it if you're in green, right? So we talked about there's there's Land of Worlds, there's Gilded Goose. There's Elysian carry added. There's Incubation Druid. Like there's just a lot of good stuff that green gets to do to ramp. And that's not even talking about the three mana ways. And the three mana ways, as I think you're saying here, they're a little bit too small ball for the mana investment, right? The three mana things that tap for just one color or just one mana rather. That's my opinion. Yeah, I think three mana things that tap for one mana do not matter hardly at all in this cube. Not that they don't matter, like you're always going to play them. Yes. But you shouldn't prioritize them. You shouldn't see something like Midnight Clock and think, oh, this is awesome. You know, this is a premium ramper because it's not. There are just better ways to do it at one and two mana or ways to make more mana at three CMC like Salvala or Faber Welder or something. Yeah, I think Midnight Clock is a cut above the rest, though, because it's a draw seven down the road. Sure. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. You're going to put them in your deck, but they're not, whatever, they're not top 30 cards in the cube. They're not top 50 cards in the cube. Yeah, and I think a couple of the two mana ones that people don't quite recognize are Growth Spiral and Explore. But I think those are like premium rampers in the cube. For some reason, people love Growth Spiral, but they don't love Explore, but it's just the same card at sorcery speed. Exactly, right. Yeah, so I think those are both really, really good, especially if you're on the playing 18 lands train. There's also some stuff that cares about landfall or whatever. There also are, are things like Fires of Invention or whatever that want you to be ramping via lands rather than ramping via, you know, artifacts or creatures and so the the spiral and explorer giving you an additional land drop is sometimes even more of an upside than those other cards well and i think if you're not green it's important to be aware there are only three two mana value mana rocks right there's cold steel heart mindstone and guardian idol and that's it wow so if you're not green somehow like you need to prioritize those three cards. Yeah. I also think people are sleeping on Guardian Idol. Maybe they get the other two, but I think the fact that like it comes into play tapped and only produces colorless makes them think, oh, this isn't good, but it is very good. And it's just, it's because it's so unique, right? It's such a unique effect that you need to take it when you see it most of the time. Yes, agree 100%. And then, you know, those three mana rampers, there are ones that are better than the other three mana rampers, but three mana rampers just in general are not, I think, as premium but vizier of tumbling sands has really been impressive to me yeah this in conjunction with stuff that produces more than one mana uh, i'm thinking specifically of gilded lotus the five mana rock that produces three mana of any color or the land lotus field this is the hexproof land etb's tap you sack two lands but then it taps for three mana of any color there's this and then there's the uh kiora planeswalker the three mana walker that just has downtick untap a permanent that in conjunction with those things that produce three mana is very explosive yeah well and also just cycling vizier to untap some arbitrarily large monster to eat yep. your opponent's thing like nobody plays around that yeah it gave me something to do in my fires deck on my opponent's turn the other day i got cycled it untapped my gigantha and ate their four four Ooh, nice um i do think the sort of namesake card of the cube is is really good chromatic lantern um being able to turn all of your lands into lands that produce any color is pretty powerful i have not ever found my mana base to be lacking if i'm drafting duels which we're going to talk about in just a second and not even duels necessarily but like fetches and the thriving lands and other things either you're very good at drafting lands or you're just not drafting a greedy enough deck 
I don't, I don't know which one it is, though. <laughs> the former, I'm sure. Uh, Dryad of the Elysian Grove is another one in the same vein, letting all your lands tap for mana of any color and the ability to play an extra land a turn. Also huge. Yeah, I've seen that in conjunction with like Rada, and that's been really powerful, like, you know, getting to sort of build your own Oracle of Moldiah type deal. But getting to like, you know, play those additional lands is really, really strong, I think. Uh, we talked about Midnight Clock already. I do think that is a cut above the rest being a you know a three mana rock that then is also that's a, a great mana sync with Fires of Invention, by the way, but also then just eventually it's going to be whatever, a four for one, five for one, six for one. Yeah, we're going to round out this list, but I get the sense from Ben that he's not a huge fan of any of these. Like, it sounds like you don't really think there's anyone that's a cut above the rest here. I think these are better than some of the others. But I don't particularly care about any of these. Like Midnight Clock would be the one I'm most excited about, but the rest of them I could pretty much take or leave. I like Fertile Footsteps. That's the uh, adventure from Beanstalk Giant. Again, like it fixes and ramps via a land, which I think is important. And then uh, Asika or Essica, and then the, the flip side being Prismatic Bridge. I do like that. This can either be an enabler for you in terms of a fixer. And then there's a lot of legendaries floating around. And so it turns your other legendaries into mana creatures as well. Um, but then also sometimes you just go turn three chromatic lantern, turn four prismatic bridge. And that's how you win. Ooh, nice. All right. Let's talk about the things you love. The lands. These are so good. So the lands are actually kind of reverse goodness, I think, from what a normal cube yeah. would be. Like in a normal cube, you would want ETB untapped duels. And that has not been the case here in my experience. So I think the best lands, assuming that you have ways to, you know, value two lands entering the battlefield, which a lot of these multicolored decks do, whether that's through Omnath or, you know, something like Golos Field of the Dead. But, you know, there are ways to take advantage of multiple lands entering the battlefield. If you care about that, I think the fetch lands are the best because they, you know, put one man of any color, you know, that you need past that. The world tree is honestly probably the best land in the cube right wait so why is the world tree good but not chromatic lantern you just said you don't have problems with your lands i don't have problems with my lands but the world tree is a land drop yeah it's the same thing as chromatic lantern without you having to pay three mana yeah for sure no i i agree with that i think the world tree is nuts and like you can do though i don't think you should you can do the wombo combo with maskwood nexus right all of your creatures in your deck are gods and you can go fetch them up but they're also just there are gods in the cube right yes there are for sure I think Nexus is too small ball, but I have tried to live the dream with granted going to get Nexus while I have World Tree in my deck. So I don't have to like use it as a spell slot, but maybe if the game is going enough well for me that I can go grab it. But I haven't lived that dream yet. Speaking of, Fae of Wishes is real good in this cube, right? Oh, yeah, it's nuts. It's so good. I was playing a game. This is not relevant to the podcast at all, but I was playing a game where I had somehow made like five or six Gilded Gooses while I was streaming and Twitch chat was just like goading me to win the game with a Gilded Goose. So I tried to granted for Primal Might to pump a goose up extraordinarily <laughs> large to kill my opponent with a Gilded Goose, but they conceded as I was making the play. So I didn't uh, actually get to do it. That counts, though. I think I think we'll we'll allow it. This next tip. So you tweeted the other day, you were like the thriving lands and the fetch lands are like the best lands in the cube. And again, I just like you know, that wasn't something I was thinking about. And then I just took that to heart and I have never looked back. I think I agree with your take on the three fetch lands. Talk to me about these thriving lands, baby. They're so underrated. They're so good. So they're ETB tapped for a color of mana. There's a cycle of them, one of each color. And then when the ETB, you get to choose what the other color of mana you want the mana to produce is. And so they're like evolving wilds and etc. except they're also duels, right? Yeah. So whatever, they're just five sources in one land, which is so powerful when you're trying to play all of the colors, right? So they're just, I think they're premium. And then past that, the triomes are the next best lands. And then the dual lands are the worst. The dual lands are the worst. And probably the best of the dual lands are the cycling dual lands. Right. So that if you're getting flooded, you can still find action. Right. I like those because like that's one of the reasons the triumphs are so powerful. Like they're powerful because they tap for three colors, but then they're also powerful because you're running so many mana sources that mid or late game, you can, you know, try and rebuy them for or cash them in, I should say, for a new card off the top, you know? And so I think the cycling duels are the best. But yeah, I agree. Like all the, you know, the the snarls or the shock lands or whatever they're just like they're fine who cares i have been drawing enough cards that i have never felt like i've needed to really cycle a land but maybe i've just been being running hot yeah i don't know I don't, yeah i don't know what you've been doing with this cube but i've definitely been like all right i've got i got enough lands for now all right moving on to the top game warping spells in the cube so these are our you know ideas of top 30 ish like 
top 20-ish cards that are just like, they warp the game in terms of whenever they're cast or if you untap with them. I think like that we're counting like in the turn cycle that they're cast, um, they're probably going to really be needed to be answered or you're going to win or snowball or whatever. Yeah. So the first category of cards is wraths that sort of just invalidate everything that's happened up to that point, which was initially very frustrating for me. Like the first... I don't know, two or three cube drafts I did mm-hmm. because I did not have those cards and my opponents did. And I think top of the heap are, you know, Plague Windy type cards. And so the first one is Ruinous Ultimatum, which is the Mardu colored ultimatum that destroys all non-land permanents your opponents control. And I think if your opponent is heavy Mardu colors, you're just supposed to assume they have Ruinous Ultimatum and either A, try to kill them as quickly as possible or B, try to sandbag some card that's going to let you recover heavily after getting plague winded i was on my normal whatever blue green five color nonsense that i'm doing draft in and draft out but then i had dried of the elysian grove chromatic lantern and world tree in my deck and i was like oh i can cast runus ultimatum i have like three splash sources for this red red white 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 black black card <laughs> that is pretty decent. um the other one here that's sort of a plague windy effect is deadly vanity right the flip side of selfless glyph weaver that lets you choose a creature planeswalker and then destroy all the rest Yeah, that one is very good. That was not on my radar until it happened to me the first time. I was like, oh, this is just as good as Runus Ultimatum. I need to bump that up in my pick order. Yeah. And then the other sweepers, I would say the best of the bunch is Star of Extinction because it can blow up a land too. Hit its Planeswalkers as well. And there's, of course, the Wombo combo with Brash Taunter. Yeah, it's pretty sick. So you play the Brash Taunter, which deals damage equal to the opponent when it's dealt damage. So Brash Taunter into Star of Extinction, boom, dome your opponent for 20. Yeah, pretty nuts. And then, yeah, I think that's the best of the wrath. Next is probably Realm Cloaked Giant, just as, you know, a wrath that will also give you a threat afterwards, although the 7-7 Giant is pretty small ball for this cube. <laughs> kind of crazy. Then, it is. And then there's some other normal wraths in Crux of Fate, which is sweet, you know, if you've got some dragons and you can leave a dragon around and kill all your opponent's stuff. Um, and then the worst of them is Hour of Devastation that deals five to all creatures and planeswalkers. Well, and the non-Bolus planeswalkers is actually pretty relevant text in this cube. So like sometimes they've got, you know, some, one of the best planeswalkers, I think, is Nicol Bolas, uh God Pharaoh or whatever, the one from Amonkhet. And I think just not being able to hit that is is pretty weak. I do think, however, if you're facing down an aggro deck, like if you can if you can cast Hour of Devastation, you should put it in your deck just because it is kind of an insurance policy against somebody getting off to a fast start against you. Yeah, that's fair. Because it's very easy to like turn four an hour of devastation in this cube. Yeah. Moving on to white. There's a couple cards that are busted here. To the surprise of no one, Starnheim Unleashed, still absurd in this cube, especially because of the amounts of mana you can produce. Right. Making, you know, three, four, five angels is not difficult and it's splashable right the the foretell cost is single white so don't get fooled by this white white cost yeah and then not really a white card but kenrith the returned king um, has an activated ability of each different color and is a huge mana sink yeah i mean this kenrith fires was a thing in standard and it's definitely a thing in this cube and i think kenrith even without fires is pretty busto taking us on to your favorite color what do we have going on in blue so blue has four cards that i think fall under this category probably the weakest of the bunch is in bolus's clutches like it's just a two for one right but because of the like snowbally effect of a lot of cards in this cube you know sealing a planeswalker then getting to activate it or whatever that does have a pretty big effect on the game that's a pretty big swing but i do think that's the worst of these four Probably the best of them is Sublime Epiphany. Yes. It's just nuts in every cube it's been in Arena and probably shouldn't be in this cube, right? It's a little egregious that this card is included, I think. Yeah. I mean, well, at least it's like, I think it's probably not one of the top 10, maybe. Maybe it still cracks the top 10. But like in regular Arena Cube, I think it's, again, an egregious include. It's like top five cards. It feels like you just can't beat it ever. And that definitely, I think holds true here and we should be clear like the cards that we've discussed earlier like you know the time walks or some of the cards that produce multiple mana like we're not going to list here but those are even probably better than all of these cards yeah the time walks for sure yeah and i think it's just sort of like deck composition but it is a toss-up like when you see a two mana rock or whatever or two mana ramper in green versus one of these like game warping cards it is a toss up sometimes and you're going to have to make considerations like, you know, earlier I th- in the draft, I think I would take the two mana or one mana rampers um, unless it's the time walks specifically. But uh, otherwise, I think late in the draft, maybe you've, you've shored up all that ramp and now you just do need a couple more big top end spells. And that's where you want to make sure you're identifying the ones that matter. And those are the ones that we're listing here. My general like 
pick like macro pick order for the cube has been cards that I want to win the game with. Uh-huh. Like, because some of this cube, like some of this cube is not about being spiky, right? So like if it's a card I want to play with, I take the threat and then past that, it's like cards that let you make multiple mana like Mirari's Wake or Fires if I had ever gotten past it or mm-hmm. Fabro Elder, things things that can in one card make four or five, six mana and then past that, the one and two CMC spells and then going back to the top end after I've hit all that other stuff. Yeah, I, I think I have a few exceptions to that, the time walk specifically, but I think I'm generally on that path as well. Well, and that would be cards you want to win the game with, right? Like if yes. I want to play with if I want to play with Nexus of Fate, like I take it, you know? Yeah. So I also have Shark Typhoon on this list, not for cycling it, because I do think, again, cycling it to draw a card and make a little shark is little small ball which is kind of crazy like even if that shark is a six six or whatever i don't want a two for one what i want to do is cast this and then if you untap with it i think you're basically going to win the game you know all your mana rocks are now making two two and three three sharks and then any of your big spells are just also now make having a huge impact on the board i found shark typhoon to be very good and last blue card is scholar of the lost trove that's the five five that lets you cast an instant or sorcery for free when it etbs this is really good in tandem with a lot of the clone effects in the cube and there Mm. are a lot of the clone effects in the cube so it's not uncommon the turn you cast scholar of the trove if you include those clony type spells that you can you know make two three scholar of the troves and then still actually cast another spell on top of that yeah like scholar into mythos of aluna into magma opus like that's a way to win a game of magic folks right and though and those spell clones are just good cards in the cube also i I have found mythos to be a little awkward honestly because i don't often have a lot of permanents that aren't legendary that i want to copy that's been an issue for me as well that's fair i agree but i do think you know i'm looking if i've got scholar of the lost trove mythos of aluna is definitely something i'm including moving on to black it doesn't really have any of the top 30-ish cards i think which is kind of wild i agree it's a little awkward Like, there's no real ramp in black. One for one removal is not great because your opponents can just ignore that and then, you know, all of a sudden get a four for one or a five for one. And then your one for one removal is like, okay, great. Who cares? Um, There are some interactive black decks that, you know, try to keep your opponent off balance. And that is one of the ways to be aggressive in this cube is with black. But generally, it's felt weird. And a lot of my multicolored decks are not black or like have a black card. And then it's also awkward in the sense that a lot of the good black cards are black black but you don't want a lot of them yeah right like you know you'll splash the five mana ashiok planeswalker or whatever but i don't think i want to be playing black black a lot of the time i think we're in agreement that gaunti lord of luxury is the best black card in the cube the best mono black card rather i think that is true yeah nothing better than killing your opponent with their sweet stuff yeah for sure um i also have been running into and maybe this is like a bit of a metagame shift but yesterday and today i've been running into these black x disruptive decks specifically disruptive towards your hand like agonizing remorse kaisel freebooter brain maggot and i think that's actually a pretty effective way to attack the strategy that we're outlining here because like you know if you're trying to just like ramp ramp into you know escape to the wilds or magma opus and then your opponent snags those out of your hand before you can cast them you can run out of stuff to do if that sort of like opening plan is disrupted in that way oh speaking of escape to the wilds we don't have that on our multicolored list that card is bonkers in this cube a general rule if it's good in vintage cube if it's been banned in a format it's probably a good card to take in this cube so like escape and fires and uro like these are some some good cards uro's not been that impressive in this cube for me it feels a little small ball and it's awkward in that not a lot of things go to the graveyard so you're maybe escaping it once or something i don't think uro's premium in this cube i think it's a not it's like a reward it's not a reason to draft blue green or whatever but once i'm in blue green i think i'm playing it yeah for sure and then a couple other good black cards that are less good than gaunti and you know again probably not top 30 cards in the cube or whatever noxious gear hulks good you know as a you know just a tempo swing where you get a threat and kill your opponent's threat and then liliana's death majesty as well has done some serious work as a planeswalker that's a threat that needs to be answered and a lot of times people don't have 
board pressure to, you know, pressure planeswalkers. So, you know, reanimating something large is pretty spicy. What's going on with red? Moving on to red, there's a couple sweet ones. Crackle with power is very good, especially with all the mana that can be produced, right? A lot of games end with crackle you, deal you 10, or crackle you, deal you 15, or even crackle you, deal you 20. I mean, I've seen all of those variations. 14 mana is not i mean it's that's sort of a reach but it's not crazy not with it not certainly not with marari's wake i mean it's easy peasy yeah oh god yeah that is easy with marari's wake uh mizix's mastery is another really good one especially in tandem with all of the good spells that are floating around just being able to cast that often if you're overloading it just wins the game yeah for sure although we did run into oh yeah that we were playing together when i was at ethan's in pittsburgh this past weekend and we ran into an opponent that had uh, fires out and they overloaded their Mizzix's mastery cast one spell and they couldn't cast any others and insta conceded yeah <laughs> and i awesome. almost conceded in response to the overloaded mastery i was like all right this is over <laughs> and then nope nope got got by the uh the fires of invention tax there and then we got a couple uh large red monsters here that you're excited about what, what's going on here yeah ilharg the raised boar uh five mana for the six six and when it attacks you can put another creature from your hand into play tapped and attacking um, this is a huge threat, you know, playing that on turn four, it's a must answer type card. And I think that's one of the ways to be aggressive in the cube, like not necessarily great in these multicolored pile decks we're talking about. But if you're trying to pressure your opponent, like it's going to close the game out in a hurry. And similarly, a Tali Primal Storm, um, when it attacks, you get to flip cards from both libraries and cast them for free. Like if that if you untap with that and it connects when it attacks, I think the game's probably over if you hit reasonable spells. Yeah, that makes sense. Green, I think, has only really one good top end spell, and that's Kogla the Titan Ape. Not only does this like generally pick off whatever their best threat is, but then if you're drafting the cube appropriately, if you attack with this, you're going to be able to blow stuff up. And it's going to be some of the most important stuff your opponent has, you know, but blowing up Marari's Wake or Fires, well, you know, or, or their Mana Rock, that's really going to impact the game. Moving on to Colorless, we've got Golos Tireless Pilgrim, although he might be getting kind of tired in this cube. He does serious work. Does do some work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's one of the best cards in the Arena Cube and is even better in this cube. But I don't think it's for Field of the Dead. I think it's just for untapping and casting stuff for free. Like, feel that it is good, but making 2-2 zombies feels a little small ball to me. I agree. Oh, yeah. You definitely want to activate Golos. And honestly, the crazy thing about this cube is I've had Golos activations and wanted to play cards from my hand that would be more impactful. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Moving on to multicolor. We've we've sang Magma Opus's praises. We've talked about Nicol Bolas, God Pharaoh, Zakama Primal Calamity, the Bee's Knees. Yeah. It's just huge, and your opponent can't attack into it. It's got Vigilance. You're going to have boatloads of mana. Card is one of the best finishers in the cube. Yep, absolutely busted. Uh, the two ultimatums, Ruinous and Genesis. So we've talked about Ruinous Ultimatum as the one-sided Wrath, um, or, or I mean, it's more than a Wrath, right? It also destroys their non-land permanence. So, uh, and Genesis Ultimatum, that's the teamer one that like you look at the top five, can put any permanent cards into play, and then the rest go into your hand. So... Hello, five for one. Ral Storm Conduit is another one that's super spicy. This is the Planeswalker that can copy spells. There are a lot of good spells to copy. Time walks, you know, taking two turns, pretty good. There's also just a lot of burn spells to copy to dome your opponent out. Card mm-hmm. is very strong. I just don't pass Ral. I think that's like, I think that is one of my top five cards in the cube, probably, just because I think copying the time walks is nuts. And then, as you said, all the spells are just so good. So do you also feel that way about double vision? No, I don't. Red, red is a is a cost. And, you know, the fact that double vision doesn't do anything like, you know, you, there are turns where you can go immediately RAL, like down tick copy or RAL plus, and then it like distracts them and they think they have to attack RAL or whatever. Like, I also like that. I don't feel that way about double vision. How about Marari's Wake? Mana more. I, I like Marari's Wake a lot, but I think I take RAL over it. Yeah, I agree. I was just curious to feel out other similar cards. And then last on this list is Valky, but really for Tybalt on the other side, that's a seven mana planeswalker that I think, you know, is really, really hard. You know, if, if you have to minus it to kill something, you have to. But when you uptick this, it feels really hard to deal with. Yeah. So there it is. That's like the list of, you know, really, really, really good cards in the cube or cards that you should be paying attention to in packs. Some other cards that are good, but not quite on the level of these other cards. Elspus Conquers Deaths, very good, you know, to kill a threat, you know, can rebuy something, will help you catch back up if you've fallen behind. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of cards on this list of other top cards are sort of like 
the best two for ones, but are still just sort of two for ones. I have been so impressed by Alrond, God of the Cosmos, like that being a relevant turn two play sometimes when you don't have a rock to play on turn two, get to like line up your draws down the road and then Alrin just like runs away with the game. Just name land every time with Alrin, right? So you just, because you just want to hit lands for the rest of the game. And this really helps you do that. Yeah, very strong. Goldspan Dragon has been super impressive a la, you know, Magda or Captain Lannery, but just does it even better, right? Hits harder and ramps you even harder with the treasure because they can sack to add two mana. Card's been very impressive. Yeah, for sure. I've really liked Spell Swindle, which is another card that like looks clunky on its face in terms of it being included in cube. But like I've I've done the like counter your four or five drop on turn five and then cast Zakama next turn, right? Like just use those treasures to their maximum potential. Spell Swindle is mana drain in this cube. I think it is that level of good. Yes, I mean, it's five mana mana drain, but it is still mana drain. But I, the five mana parts doesn't matter. It doesn't because, matter. Like, everybody's yeah. derping around in the first few turns anyway, right? Yeah, I have really stopped like. This is the first time I've really just like let go of being concerned about my curve or just like, you know, I can only have two six drops like now I'll have like three seven drops if they're good (laughs) because I just want those impactful spells. It's ridiculous and it's it's a little bit much of a good thing. Like, I don't think the cube's going to have a ton of staying power, but (laughs) after you figure out the recipe, the first few drafts you do where you know the recipe and just get a savage your opponents is very fun. Well, and then anytime you play against someone who doesn't know the recipe, you feel like you're playing a different game than them. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Enter the God Eternals, Silumgar's Command, and Hostage Taker, you know, three great blue-black spells. There are just, you know, I think blue-black has enough good stuff that you probably could be blue-black and be respectable as long as you're interacting with the opponent in meaningful ways via counter spells. I don't know if you've had this experience, but every time my opponent plays Tristani, it has felt like a lot. Like, I feel like, oh, I have to deal with that, but then I also have to deal with these other things and like... You know, I don't know, just like those that amount of bodies and that effect on the board. And also, if you've clutched something that feels really bad or hostage taken something and they get it back, like I found Tristani to be good. Yeah, I don't think you're ever cutting Tristani in this cube. Yeah. Uh, two other sweet ones, Divine Visitation and Anointed Procession. There's a lot of support uh, for these tokens archetypes. The problem is you're just playing cards that aren't as good, right? Like to to have a divine visitation anointed procession deck like there are a lot of cards that make tokens then you put those cards in your deck but if you ever don't draw divine visitation you just lose every time to the aggro decks and the decks that are doing the big things like there's just so many cards that are powerful enough intrinsically that stuff like this just gets pushed to the side a little bit which does feel bad to me yeah i don't i just think you should not be trying to assemble like column a column b synergies because all of the cards that we've listed previously are just busted on their own, right? You just have to draw them. You don't have to draw them in combination with something else. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Mirari Conjecture is sweet, though my favorite spells to copy uh, don't end up in the graveyard, right? The time walks either shuffle back or get exiled. But Conjecture is really sweet. You do have to have, I I do think you need to make sure you have that good mix. I've found my instant and sorcery count either to be like lopsided sometimes or just too low for this to be a good include in my deck. You've got Stone, you've got Stone Coil Serpent on here. Talk to me about this card. I don't know. I didn't have it on the list. And then I played against it yesterday and I was like, looked at my hand, couldn't deal with it, looked at my deck list. (laughs) <laughs> couldn't deal with it like everything I, I even had fave wishes in my deck i looked at my sideboard i was like what can i get that interacts with this thing that has hexproof and multicolored i couldn't interact with it it was crazy so that's I think, hilarious i think this might be a pretty darn good card against the strategy that we're outlining that's funny and then the last card on the list i would argue this is a little small ball we've got thieving skydiver here i stole god pharaoh's gift today with it I don't know, like <laughs> stealing a mana rock is pretty good. There's always targets for it. I, I agree, like the two on body isn't that good, but I have found it to be flexible. It's also like, it's sort of like aggro protection a little bit because it gives you a, a two drop against those decks. Yeah, I would argue that like spending five mana to steal your opponent's three mana mana rock is way too small ball for the cube. Eh, I don't know. I'm kind of into it. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we spent a lot of time talking about like this go big deck there are ways to be aggressive if you want to try to do that like if just aggro is your jam or you want to try to prey on these other decks um so just some notes about like aggro-ish stuff in the cube usher the fallen is literally the only one drop in the cube that has two power like there are other one drops but they're all only one powered one drops whoa i did not know that yeah which is crazy 
Um, and Luminarch Aspirant, I think, is probably the most aggressive two drop. Um, you know, you get counters every turn, and there are counter synergies to abuse with Luminarch Aspirant. And I think White honestly gets the best aggressive cards. Like you want to pair them with Red. Like if you're if you're talking traditional aggro, like low to the ground mm-hmm. aggro. Um, and you know, we've sung the praises of some of these cards already. But cards that can do damage while snowballing or ramping you have been really impressive in aggressive decks. Cards like Magda or Captain Lannery, and even Krenko, you know, Tin Street Kingpin. My opponent played that on a play, and I was like derping around with mana rocks and stuff, <laughs> and it just gets out of hand in a hurry. But I don't actually think those low to the ground, low curve aggro decks are the best way to be aggressive. I've been very impressed with red green stompy out of my opponents, you know, like where they're still playing cards like Llanowar Elves or Gilded Goose, but then they're instead of like ramping towards eight and nine mana cards, they're playing like threat, threat, threat the turn after they play their one or two mana ramper. Like, I think that's a really good way to be aggressive in the that's cube. That's the, the best deck from the old modern cube, right? Red green garbage. Yeah. <laughs> red green garbo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I haven't drafted that, but that that makes sense with what you're talking about with Ilharg or like Nikia of the old ways, like still cheating on mana but cheating on it to like get out these like mid-range fatties to attack your opponent right absolutely and i think there's other color pairs that can do a similar thing right being aggressive is not curving necessarily it's assembling threats quickly like Mm -hmm. more quickly than your opponent and they're probably not going to be equipped to deal with them and then you have to get in under like those wraths or plague winds i think that's the way to be aggressive in the cube yeah that makes sense there's also i think you know cheap double strikers plus equipment is another way to kind of mize games so there's adorned pouncer swift blade vindicator as two drops with double strike and then halvar got a battle you know lets you give the equipped thing double strike and also lets you equip for free which is pretty big game and mm-hmm. then you know backing up those cards you know you've got embercleave maul the skyclaves black blade reforged because everything in this cube is legendary i think those are some of the primo equipments but like Putting crystal slippers in your deck with <laughs> low CMC creatures is just not going to get the job done. Oh, that's why I think I ran crystal slipper in my first draft of this cube. <laughs> I drafted red white like three times. And the last time I did, I was like, literally never again am I going to be tricked by the draft into drafting a red white deck. Just because I kept I was like, oh, there is equipment stuff, right? There's like Nahiri and Akiri and whatever. Like there's there's stuff to do. There's Cole, my favorite from call time. But just don't don't do those little those little micro synergies are, are no good. But I agree with you about those. Those 1-1 one, one double strikers, Adorned Pouncer and Swift Blade Vindicator have been very impressive. Yeah. And so it, I think that is the key to being aggressive. If you want to be aggressive, it's quickly assembling like very big threats. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I have to be on the lookout for the Red Green Stompy deck. Have you played Have you played with that deck yet or just against it? No, I've just gotten smashed several times by it. Because So here's the thing that I'm struggling with in the cube right now in terms of like, I've identified this this black disruptive deck that I've gotten beat by a couple times. You're talking about this red green stompy deck you've gotten beat by a few times. I just don't know how you're supposed to get into those decks. Well, you don't because enough people are drafting the cube wrong that you can just always get the deck we're talking about. But theoretically, if everybody were competing for the deck we're talking about, like those other decks would be off ramps that you would want to draft that would be competitive. The problem is just not enough people are trying to do the biggest, sweetest stuff that you're not going to be able to do that every draft if you don't want to. Right. Like in theory, if, if whatever, if the black disruptive deck is open, then I should be wheeling brain maggot. But like it's not wheeling. And so I just can never do that thing. Right. Because like I need those role player cards for the archetype to wheel. And if they're not, then I can't draft the deck and I don't want to draft the deck because I'm getting past Alrin's epiphany pick four or whatever. Right. But if you're sitting at a pod of eight of me and you yeah like these red green stompy decks and this black disruptive deck those would be decks that one of our seats would draft right because not everybody can do the stuff if everybody's trying to do it in the pot but it's just never going to happen on arena so if you want if you want to do sweet things go nuts on arena all our listeners are going to now do it so maybe if we get jumped in a pod with them then we'll have to do an off-ramp deck there you go there's also some sick wombo combos uh (laughs) in this cube i think to be on the lookout for if you really want to try to live the dream or do sweet things so we've talked about brash or star of extinction already one thing that i got going that was pretty spicy was mirari conjecture plus sublime epiphany so i had that online where every turn i just had a soft lock on my opponent where i could counter their spell and bounce mirari conjecture to rebuy sublime epiphany oh takes 11 mana to get the lock online but felt pretty good that makes me so mad. I hate Sublime Epiphany so much. 
Like, I know I've <laughs> talked to you about this, but so I hate Sublime Epiphany because it's so stupid powerful and I feel like I can never beat it. But then there's also this minute of agony while your opponent like chooses the modes where you're like, they have six mana, they probably have Epiphany, but I don't know yet. They're just pausing. Let me wait and see. Just that like Epiphany torture chamber. Yeah, you can see them highlighting slowly. <laughs> yeah, just mousing over stuff. Yeah. Them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, looks like Unbreakable Formation plus a Wrath. I guess Realm Cloak Giant being the best in the color that Unbreakable Formation is in. So for eight mana, you can build your own Plague Wind. Right. I mean, and again, like not something super spicy because there are just actual Plague Winds, but something to be aware of potentially to where if you've got enough Wraths, you may want to include Unbreakable Formation. One of the spiciest things I've seen is Scholar of the Lost Trove plus Clone Effects plus a way to give haste. So Ooh. Um, my, my opponent did this to me. They had Scholar of the Trove and then cloned it twice to where it was 15 flying power in the air. And then as their last card with Scholar of the Trove hit Lorehold Command to give them all plus one, plus oh in haste and just domed me in one turn. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can give haste to your army of Scholar of the Lost Trove, which is Lorehold Command. There's Kenrith, Activated Ability, Cavalier of Flame, Urbrass the Hidden, or Samet Voice of Descent. So fairly reasonable like a lot of moving pieces there but definitely something sweet i saw that is spicy i have not seen that uh you've got a shia soul of the wild plus field of the dead i know i said two two zombies felt a little small ball but this does feel really cool yeah so Ashaya turns all your creatures into named lands that then trigger field of the dead which is pretty sweet it's only your non-token creatures it doesn't go infinite with the field zombies Right, correct. Yeah. And then there's just a bunch of other things that are very good. If you're making a lot of mana, you know, we've talked about Crackle or copying Fight with Fire. There's just a lot of ways to dome your opponent out from nowhere. Uh, Garuda plus Extinction Event, if you went down that Ooh. route, you know, could potentially build your own Plague Wind there as well. Yeah. And then the last thing I've been kind of impressed with are cards like Yeheni or Immersturm Predator that can gain indestructible. Not even necessarily like wombo comboing on your side with a wrath, which would be good, but just when my opponents have those, a lot of times as the going big deck, they're a problem, right? Because you're expecting a wrath and then have time to recoup. And if you don't, if they get to keep a threat like a Henny or Immerstrom Predator, it's pretty tough to deal with. So th this is the biggest difference, you know, so we, we, you know, we wrote out these show notes, both looked at them, both added to it, felt like we were like 99% agreement, but it does feel like we're a little split here and i wonder if this is a product of best of one versus best of three you are a lot more in tune to the wraths in this cube than i am oh interesting i think those are the best cards i don't that i, I wonder if that's a difference of best of one and best of three but I, I have not been prioritizing the sweepers that much not not wraths but the plague wins the two plague wins in i think ruinous ultimatum is the best deadly vanity is the next best the wraths are a little like kind of whatever but they are good like star of extinction i think is the next best one those are definitely the top three yeah and then there's a pretty significant gap but i am relying on those cards a lot in these going big decks and my opponents yehenis and emmerstorm predators have been very problematic for me interesting all right yeah uh, i kept to keep a lookout on that i wonder if uh, yeah i just have been doing something different or whatever but i, I have not found the wraths to be or the, even the, the plague ones to be cards that i have been seeking out a lot of the time interesting like i would put i would put both plague winds as top 10 or 15 cards in the cube yeah and that's interesting all right there you have it all of our chromatic cube knowledge easily digestible for you i think you know if you want to play this format if you're going to do two or three drafts like just have fun and try to do big sweet things that would be my advice i think so yeah and i think it's like i mean i have i have said on stream that i don't really like this cube but i have still also been drafting it off stream and i don't know what that speaks to in terms of my like addiction <laughs> or so degeneracy weird. i don't know what else am i supposed to do what else am i supposed to play there's nothing to do i don't know i don't i don't really like modern horizons 2 that much maybe i don't like limited anymore ben this is the end of the podcast? This is the end. This is the last one. Episode 213 in the books and then we're out. It was a good run. <laughs> it was a good run. But yeah, I don't know. It, you're, you, there is a part of this, even though the haymakers can feel bad and I don't really like high power, low synergy draft formats. I think like the fact that it feels like we've sort of cracked the code for this cube, like I'm winning a lot playing this cube with this formula. And so I think cracking that code feels good when it works. For sure. And I also, you know, for me, it was just like reframing it in my mind as like not a serious thing. Like I, this cube is like, I don't know. It's not, 
it's not, uh, I don't know what the analogy is. It's not <laughs> a real thing. It's not like I'm sitting down to play, you know, a tennis match. Like I'm just out at the park, like hitting a ball with someone, like <laughs> seeing how hard I can hit it or something, you know, like that's not a great analogy, but it's something along those lines. I mean, it does. It is like batting practice or whatever. Like I, it, it is goldfishy. I don't feel like I'm doing stuff. I just trying to do my own thing before my opponent does their own thing, you know? And, and then if they do their thing, you're like, oh. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> then you queue up another game. Like, exactly. It's just not a real thing. Yeah. Like I, once I just don't mind losing, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, there you have it. A uh, great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to Channel Fireball for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at Lords of Limited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Actually, I think I just figured out what the best black card in the cube is. And I think it's Yawgmoth's Vile Offering. Uh, I think that might be better than Gonti. I have not seen it cast yet. Oh, man. What? How many reps you got in this cube? I have done a lot of drafts, sir. <laughs> I'm at least, I'm double digits for sure. And I've been probably, I would, I would guess between 10 and 15 if I had to guess. Haven't seen half the cards in the cube in play. <laughs> <laughs>